hello, 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 and welcome to episode number 13, um, our lucky number 13 this week of Flash Casual, uh, Landed's official podcast brought to you live today, Wednesday, uh, September 27th, um, from a whole host of places as usual, Los Angeles, New York, and actually the last time we'll be broadcasting from Ireland. Uh, my name is Alex Mann, and I'm your host again, and it's great to be back. As I like to say, every restaurant has a story, and so without further delay, let's get the show on the road. I'm delighted to say that we have our CEO, Vivian Wang, here again, as usual. Vivian's always here. Uh, say hi, Vivian. Hello. Excited to be here. Um, and we'll be chatting with Christian Lee, the Chief Operating Officer of Frame Broiler, based in LA, um, predominantly, but also in five states. Um, and what a background this guy has. Christian, say hi. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Great stuff. Uh, Vivian, as usual, do you want to give us just a quick intro into who you are and what we do at Landed? Yep. So we help restaurants with hiring, team members up to managers, just taking all that recruitment work off the plates of your managers. Great. And Christian, next up, um, do you to give us an introduction as well? You've had quite the journey yourself to get where you are today. Thank you. Yeah. My name is Christian Lee, Chief Operating Officer of Flame Broiler. Uh, Flame Broiler is a Korean-inspired uh, quick serve uh, franchise, I guess you can say that. My, my dad started the company in 1995. I can go more into the story later, but uh, our our whole thing is providing access to healthy meals to, to communities at an affordable, accessible price. Um, and I've been with the company full time, uh, I guess, over six to seven years, but really been working in the company since, you know, I was in high school doing dishes and all that good stuff and eating it since I was born. So uh, I've been really with the company for, for decades now. Great stuff. Great stuff. Well, you know, I guess we can dive right in because that's like a perfect place to start for us, I think, um, is really just kind of diving into, you know, what we were talking about last week when we caught up, which was, you know, going into like the family business, you know, the story like of your family business. I mean, like an amazing achievement, you know, to 85, 85 plus locations is insane, you know, and the dynamics of that tra- kind of transition, you know, yourself, you know, your brothers are also in the organization as well. And you're all kind of like stepping up. I suppose it's like it's a great place to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. We're actually at 134. Um, 134, okay. <laughs> well, a few more, more than 84. But uh, yeah, as I said earlier, my, my dad started the company in 1995. And I mean, I could tell the story for this whole this whole thing, but I'll, I'll, try, to, I'll try to keep it short. Um, but really, like my parents' story starts back in South Korea. Uh, they're both Korean immigrants. My dad immigrated to South L.A., uh, in 1990, no, wait, sorry, uh, 1972, when he was 12 years old. My mom immigrated uh, when she was about 25 years old, so in the 80s. Um, and after they met and got married, uh, they, they weren't super well off, um, did just different kinds of jobs. And uh, they have my older brother, so I'm the, I'm the middle child. So I have two brothers, uh, my older brother, me, and my younger one. Uh, so when my older brother Daniel was born, uh, they kind of had they had a hard time raising him because they both worked, you know, twelve to fifteen hour days every single day. And when I like to say that I was kind of the impetus for for Flame Broiler because <laughs> when uh, they were having me, they uh, they said, "No, this isn't sustainable for us as a family. Uh, we want to be able to spend more time with our kids. We want a better source of income for uh, for the family." And uh, it's funny because people, when I tell the story, people always say that Flame Brother was an amazing idea because of the success it's had. But in hindsight, it's actually like a pretty terrible idea. 
because <laughs> they had like no money. Uh, they had no restaurant experience, uh, not a lot of cooking experience either. And they uh, had another baby on the way. Uh, so baby number two. And they're like, you know what? We're going to start a restaurant, <laughs> something we've never done. We're going to go into debt to do this. I'm going to take on a location that uh, is really bad. Like we consider it like a C or D rated location. Uh, and we're going to feed the family through this and kind of risk it all. But I guess that's kind of the life of entrepreneurs. And so he, they started the first restaurant. Um, my mom kind of helped make the sauce. And my dad came up with like the operations of the restaurant. And they started the first one in Fullerton, California. Um, like a little, like little strip mall took over like an old yurt shop and the first day i remember they said they uh they did 60 dollars in sales <laughs> and i guess that, that didn't discourage them because they're like, all right well we're just going to keep on going because uh, we know that through this concept we can do good um and uh feed our feed our family through through this concept and because uh, they wanted to feed people food that they wanted to feed themselves and their own kids and so that and that's kind of why our, our thing is all about health and bringing access to food uh, and using, you know, our family's recipes, you know, our Korean recipes and bringing it to a mainstream audience. So because of that, all of the combo, that, that combo of, uh, of ingredients that made up the Flame Brother concept, the first sort just kind of took off, um, got so popular that people started like trying to like breaking down his door. Uh, wanting to franchise this thing saying like mr lee mr lee i I really want one of these like we we have to have this one in this community like there's nothing else like this uh because this was back in 1995 in the late 90s um and so eventually he said you know what fine like if you want to open a franchise i'll like set up the the fdd and do all the things to for you to be able to um, open store number two and so store number two on for the next like i think we, we the first franchise store opened in 2001 uh so six years after the first store opened and then from there just just snowballed and everything was word of mouth uh the word spread about the menu and the concept and the success it's had and so uh that's how flame brother became to be what it is today so just some quick backstory on (laughs) on my dad and my, my mom and how they started flame brother that's so awesome like they started from literally that one location. So t- tell me about like the, uh, I would love to learn more about like, you know, that first location, but yeah. from there, right. you had these people like just banging down the door. They're like, I really want to franchise this. I really want to like bring this into other communities. Like, how did you guys think about like, how did, how do you guys think about like intentional growth there? Because mm-hmm. you could have gone to, you know, eh, anywhere uh you like supply chain probably was part of it like thinking about like you go from one location having your mom mix the sauces and like have your dad set mm-hmm. up the the operations um probably wasn't ready to go from th- that to like a hundred locations so there were like steps in between like how mm-hmm. did you guys think about intentional growth at that point or was it just kind of like it happened organically like share more about that yeah the the funny thing is it is the opposite. It's, it was completely unintentional. Uh, if you ever meet my dad, you'll kind of understand more why. Um, he, he, he was re- seriously like never interested in growth. Uh, if you like watch what he does today and like we're, say we're like in a meeting and we hear like stomping on the roof, people are like, like what's, what's that sound? I'm like, that's my dad fixing the AC. 
right? Uh, <laughs> like the CEO is like literally on the roof fixing our AC instead of calling the AC guy. Um, and th- that's just like who he is. He's uh, an entrepreneur at heart and loves building. But uh, when it came to growth, he-, he never wanted more than one store. All he wanted was enough to feed the family. Uh, and so ev- from store, you know, number two, to where it is today, every single franchisee has come in through organic growth, through word of mouth, through customers. You know, most of our out-of-state locations are from customers actually bringing the food out there from people moving from California there and saying, I need, like, we just actually signed a deal in Dallas, but we'll be opening uh, multiple locations in Dallas. And those franchisees are from Orange County and say, we love Flame Brothers so much. We used to eat it almost every day. Like we need this in Texas. There, there's nothing that's healthy and affordable. Like Flame Brother out there, and we want really want to bring this concept to life in Dallas. And so, and that's kind of the story of the brand of people wanting uh, like what our food represented so much that they fought my dad for it. And so, and you know, the story is changing a little bit as Gen One is transitioning to Gen Two. And you know, me and my brothers are. A bit more ambitious, <laughs> but uh, basically all my dad did was allow people to have opportunities to franchise and figuring out all the steps needed to uh, support them, but never creating it in order to reach like a certain location count or growth or anything like that. So pretty unique story in that way. Yeah, it's interesting. I was going to say, like, I mean, because yourself and your brothers have now kind of stepped into the business over the last five or six years, has there been like mm-hmm. your dad being the kind of amazing sort of entrepreneur solving like air conditioners that run, <laughs> almost reminds me of my own dad, to be honest, like the, the way they think like that, you know? Right. And it's like, you guys are coming in now. Like, I, how do you see like your, as an operator, as chief operator now, like, are you design, are you designing processes, like formalizing sort of expansion plans? Obviously you're talking about numbers, for example, store locations, like what is mm-hmm. the kind of difference between say you and your father in terms of like looking at the growth of the business? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, at the baseline for our family, uh, cause I mean, as you've probably heard, family business is really hard and a lot of them kind of fall through. And so what's worked really well for us and what's made it, successful for our family is that we have shared values and shared purpose in why we're doing what we do. Um, if that didn't exist, then we, I don't think we'd be able to work together like we are right now. Um, and of course we have conflict still, but we know and believe and trust in each other that even if we're fighting for a different method of doing something, we're all trying to reach the same goal and do it with the same values. Uh, and so that, that makes it a lot easier to, to, to work together uh, by no means is it easy but it does make it easier and a lot more smooth um, and our for me and my brothers uh, a big thing that we're focused on is how do we continue the legacy of our dad uh, not transition it or disrupt it necessarily but how do we continue the spirit of why he started the business like the purpose in starting Flame Brother to create healthy food accessible to the community and how do we actually amplify that legacy, not kind of change it with our own ideas? Our own ideas come in when, it, you know, of course, when it comes to things like technology and delivery and, you know, loyalty and all those things that th- those ideas will, will bring in for sure. Um, but we're, we're just really big on doing it together as a family with a shared vision. And so that, that's super important to us. And that's kind of the foundation of what we do. And then everything from there is, is history. 
That's awesome. So like, okay, when you're thinking about like, you know, going from gen one, to gen two, and you're doing it together and it's kind of this, you know, it obviously, it sounds like everyone's open-minded, you know, to new ideas, mm-hmm. but there is more of like this consensus driven decision-making of like everybody needs to be on board and aligned. Um, like what are some of the things that like you are thinking about um, just taking in, it sounds like more of a growth direction, like, mm-hmm. like, you know, that and how did the past, you know, decades help build the foundation for that? I'd be curious to hear, cause now, you know, hindsight is 2020. You can look back and be like, right. those were things that we did absolutely right. Those are mm-hmm. things we did absolutely wrong. Would never do that. Would not advise. Right. And then, like looking forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for sure, like what's different between Gen 2 and Gen 1 is, you know, our our desire to grow and bring our food into more and more communities across the country. And so what comes with that is a more intentional way of growth. And uh, to do that, we need to first build the systems and the support and the team to be able to scale. And so what uh, me and my brothers have been really focused on is building up a leadership team. Uh, before COVID, we didn't have... Uh, uh, we didn't have any directors or up. It was just kind of my family in leadership. And now we have uh, a VP and four directors uh, that are very seasoned in what they do. Because we recognize, you know, because clearly I'm young. Uh, my brothers are young and we don't know everything. And we want to surround ourselves with people who are better at their jobs than we are. Um, because we don't, we, don't, we don't know everything. And we, we, we're always driving the vision behind what we're doing and building uh the future with people because uh, people are, are at the center of everything that we do and so a huge focus on people of how we're treating our team members how we're providing opportunities to grow uh with the intention of uh growing more units um and and using people as the leverage to, to do that because uh for people grow then our company grows um and so that that's something a little bit different that we're doing, uh, that we're introducing. My dad's very people oriented, but of course, uh, prioritized more efficiency. And now we're kind of uh, forcing our team to grow. Um, so that's one example. I mean, there, there's a lot of examples of that. I mean, wanting to be more data driven, uh, picking locations, uh, more through data and what, and that, what are all the variables that make a plan successful and you know, all, all those things that we're try- starting to introduce uh, to get, get the brain ready to grow. Cause I think there's a ton of white space for us, uh, mm-hmm. all over the country. And even still in Southern California, there's still a lot of opportunities, um, for us to grow and, uh, and leveraging, you know, all these methods to, to kind of accelerate that in the future. Totally. I mean, you see companies like Kava that just went public like two months mm-hmm. ago and like just crushing it and, mm-hmm. um, companies like Chipotle um kind of in in that vein just like absolutely crushing it so like there's like there have been players that have already done it and like and you know you can get to that type of scale because actually there's no like super uh widespread like asian kind of concept like qsr right and so there i mean there i see a ton of opportunity um to the to kind of the you know looking back what are some of the things that, you know, we have operators who listen to this and that they're, they're kind of thinking about, okay, their growth. Of course, everyone, anyone would want to get to a hundred plus mm-hmm. locations. That's already a right. huge accomplishment. Like what are some of the like 
pieces that got you guys there? It sounds like it happened organically, but is there anything that people can kind of take away um, mm -hmm. and like, think about for their own businesses? Yeah. Uh, the first thing that for sure comes to mind is that if we improve as a company and we're our product, our culture, our practices, you know, everything that we do is excellent and it's what people want, then that will drive growth rather than the other way around, right? If you try to drive growth first, then uh, things will start breaking. Um, and we're really strong believers in organic growth and what, you know, strong profit models, you know, strong culture, uh, and a product that people actually are uh, are craving and demanding, uh, that that drives the growth, and then that's what's driven our growth for the past you know twenty eight years, and that's I think what's going to continue driving our growth in the future. And, and the spirit of that still holds, even if we're creating plans for you know real estate and franchise deals and corporate stores and all those things. What has to be at the center of everything is quality and excellence in everything that we do. And then that, and then as demand grows, then that will drive growth. And so our, our dad is always you know, driving that home with us. So like, don't forget like relationships, people, quality. You cannot forget those fundamentals of the brand. Uh, and if those things are in place, then people will come flocking to us like they have the past three decades. It's, it's interesting. I mean, oh, sorry, did I interrupt you there, Vivian? No, go for it. It's interesting because you talk a lot about like the intentional growth and mm -hmm. it's interesting just like you've hired people into the business now and was there a particular attributes or traits of people that you needed to come into the org to support you like where because given that it's such a personal business in the sense that like you know mm -hmm. before COVID you're saying there was it was really just like a fan like right. nobody director and above were there particular types of people that you needed to come get you to like the post-COVID new level that you're at today? Like particular mm -hmm. attributes, yeah. traits, and people. Oh, absolutely. Uh, culture. It's it's culture fit. Uh, for us, culture fit is everything. So, I mean, of course, baseline, you got to have competency. But what we focus on first and foremost is culture fit. Because we believe skills can be taught and learned. And granted, our, our directors and our, our, our team are very, very skilled and talented. But the, the number one thing, by and large, is culture fit. The values, the character the chemistry with their team, like, do they embody the values that we, uh, like, want to hold ourselves true to? You know, our values are we exemplify love and help others win with fanatical excellence to feed communities. And when, as we're interviewing people, like, the majority of the interview process is focused on, like, our values and, and passion for, for our mission, all those things. Like, competency stuff, we can figure it out quickly. Like, sure, like, you got the experience, you got the work history, um, you demonstrated that, but but are are you gonna uh, be a, a model and an ambassador of our values? And I think that that for us is number one in everything we do. That makes sense. So culture, how do you evaluate for culture? Like during that interview process? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, I mean, through <laughs> through a lot. There, there, there's a lot. I mean, we we go through like multiple multiple interviews where we, you know, we always start with uh, like the, in the job description, all of our job roles or all the job responsibilities are based under a value. And so the way it's structured, I, I could even send you an example. 
but uh, we exemplify love, right? That's all about like character and culture. We talk, we talk about, do you, are you an ambassador of our values? Like, do you value uh, stewardship in, in your work? Do you value developing people? You know, all, all those things are fundamental to exemplifying love, fanatical excellence. Like, do you, let's say you're in training, like, do you, like, do all, all these things that have to do with the, the, the basics of training and, you know, community, it's the same thing. Like everything, all the job responsibilities are organized by values, uh, not by like, responsibilities. That, that makes sense. Like, and because and it, it starts from the very beginning, you know, like if the values aren't apparent in the job description, then uh, it, it might not, we might not attract the type of talent that we want. And we have so many candidates when we call them and say, hey, like, why, why did you apply for Flame Broiler? Like, why are you interested? They say, because of the values, right? I read the job description. I've never read anything like that, where every value, the whole thing is based on values. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, like that's now that that's like the first step of like, oh, it, they were attracted by our culture, and that's a very good sign. So, and we're constantly looking for indicators that they're passionate about what we believe in. So, just just one example of that. That makes a ton of sense. So you kind of broke out the values. And it sounds like in the interview process, you're kind of assessing for each of those and you like are talking about the job in, and you're looking for probably like concrete examples that have demonstrated that they've done, done that in the past, like out of all your values, because it, it sounds like you have like a really great like mix of them. Like, do you have one that maybe that you think is the most important? And like, can we dive deeper into that one in particular? Sure. Um. Yeah, I mean, it, the way we write it, and maybe this is a cop-out, is that they're all important. I mean, of, of course they're all important, but the way we write it, <laughs> so I'll say, you know, like, we exemplify love and help others win with fanatical excellence to feed communities. That's one sentence, right? They're not four individual values. They're all connected as one thread. It's like one narrative of what we believe. Uh, but, I mean, of course, to answer your question, if I had to pick, it'd be we exemplify love because we think love has to be at the center of everything, right? That's what drives excellence. Like, why do we value excellence? Because we, we love people, right? Because that, that's why we do what we do. And so um, love would be the first one, right? And that's why it's the first one listed. And, th and that informs everything else. Because if you do everything through that lens, wanting to exemplify love, then other things will kind of naturally fall into place. And um, yeah, so, so that's, for, for us, that's, that'd be the most important. That's awesome. What are some like characteristics that you like really don't want? So like in, in the interview process, especially for leaders, uh, this is important because like you have spent a lot, like it sounds like you and your brothers have really focused on like hiring a set of great leaders for the team. And obviously not every single leader like works out, but like mm -hmm. what have you guys found to be the, um something that you're like big red flag that maybe folks can like even if they can't like figure out how to get to what right. they want at least they can figure out like what they don't want and they can look for those right characteristics too like what is something <clears throat> you guys have found Ooh, i mean there, there's a lot uh so the first thing that came to mind uh would be cultural competency and so something that we really test for is cultural competency because uh, of course like 98 percent of our team members at our restaurants are people of color. 89% uh, of our franchisees are people of color. A huge percentage of our franchisees are first-generation immigrants. 
And so for us, like cultural competency is huge. And so uh, an example of something that we wouldn't want is uh, what we like to give, uh, you know, like, like scenarios of certain interactions with, let's say like a Korean immigrant franchisee. And how would you handle a situation where they get upset with you? And, and how do you show care and love to that person in that scenario? And so we kind of we, we test for uh, how they would kind of navigate it, like a very sticky situation. And there's no like perfect answer, no right answer, yeah. but it's like yeah. the spirit of like, do they approach it with a posture of humility, uh, through empathy, through understanding, or do they kind of bulldoze the situation? Because you'd be surprised, like a lot of people would just say like, oh, I will talk them down. Right. I will talk them down until I convince them to roll out this new POS, for example. Right. That, that's an example that we give. Like franchisee doesn't want to roll out the new POS. They're, they're really upset at you. What do you do? Uh, and so that so more often than not, like that's an answer that we get, which is a huge red flag for us because we're so big on showing care for franchisees and empathizing with them. Uh, and that, and that, that's a pretty big red flag. And that's usually a deal breaker for us. Yeah, I mean, that's huge. Um, I mean, that's like, that's, you know, you would think it's surprising that someone would say that, but, um, but it definitely, there are definitely different types of operators out there and to find the operators that like best me- meld to what you guys want like that. I mean, right, right. Absolutely. Your franchisees, like I know are now like a big part of your business. I mean, you have your corporate mm-hmm. locations, but you also have franchisees. They're really the ones that are like the brand ambassadors um, Mm -hmm. out there for you. So like making sure your brand ambassadors are happy is, uh, well, make sure that your brand shows up in a positive way in these different communities, especially as you're going to like completely new like states and cities, because that's going to be their first interaction with flame broiler. Um, When you, so that's like for your leadership hiring. Do you guys use the exact same framework for when you think when you hire for franchisees? I mean, not hire for, uh, but like select franchisees. Select franchisees, yes, yes, definitely not. We won't go so strict into like things like cultural competency, but more so, uh, it's very centered around people. And so we ask like, because what we look for in our franchisees and our selection processes now is are they are they leaders, right? And innately, do they platform their people? Do they develop their people? Is that like what they do, or do they complain about you know? Uh, uh, like people are la- too lazy and they, you know, s- say all those things. And we, we don't take that as positive indicators because I mean, we're in the people business and the way they talk about people, I think is a huge indicator for us, whether they'll be successful as franchisees. We're looking for leaders, like people who will develop people into, you know, caring about the mission and, and the brand. Uh, and so that, that's number one thing. Cause again, we, we can teach them how to cook our chicken, right? That, that that's the easy part but we can't teach them how to care for people. Um, and, and I think that that's what drives success as a business owner uh, in our perspective in Flame Broiler. And so uh, with their franchisees, that, that's kind of what we focus on. Yeah. And were there ever any like like mistakes or things that you're like, ooh, we could have gone back in our journey and like changed um, that like maybe other people kind of look out for? So for some operators that we talked to, um, it, it could be a combination of, okay, like we went after this type of franchisee profile, but then in that reality, we realized that this other one was like a better fit for us. And we had to kind of 
refranchise or you know do, like buy back and do something like that type of adjustments um others it could be like okay we needed to like simplify the menu because like it was easy to keep like a more complex menu for a single location but like when you're franchising and you're get, kind of getting this across borders and like thinking about supply chain that had to happen mm -hmm. but was there anything like that like in the growth that you guys had to think through that's pretty critical oh absolutely um i mean selection processes is one um it's funny because our my, my my dad he because he didn't plan for growth he didn't think so much about like selection um he was more looking at like do they have a desire um but desire yeah. usually like oftentimes is not enough uh to be successful and, and to be aligned with with us because we think alignment is uh, uh is huge we're not just looking we're not looking for you know who's a good person or bad person or anything like that that's not for us to judge but who's more just aligned with our culture. Um, and so looking back, I think being very thoughtful about who you bring into the system. Uh, and I say like, our, this is our selection process now because uh, we didn't really have much of one in the past. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's, uh, which is like totally true. And he, cause he, he would look at someone and say, Hey, like, um, are you someone I want to give an opportunity to? And more, more often than not, he would say yes. Uh, and I think now more often than not, we don't want to say no, um, because we have a very specific culture as does any company. And I think that that's just huge. And so I, I know I just keep going back to people, but, but that, that's what, kind of what it comes down to for us. That's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, I, I you know, it's interesting because you, we've had, this is the 13th episode and we've spoken about culture kind of a lot here, but we've not really spoken about like leadership in a kind of like tactical, like way you kind of look for leaders, look for the people where it starts at the top. Because like you said, like a type of cultural competency is something that you really want to look for and have that type of leader that can roll that out across whatever type of franchise you have. And I mean, it must be, I mean, it's, it's great to know that, it's great to hear rather that you're, there are indicators, there are red flags, there are green flags that are, you know, more than simply just a competency, like somebody has done this at Restaurant X or Business X before, that there are things that you look for. And I find it quite interesting that you start with, say, like, you know, the different sort of values first in terms of the hiring. I thought, like, you know, mm -hmm. you're talking about, like, love as a value. And, like, how do you then interview for love effectively? Like, how are you trying to find what is that sort of, like, nugget that they can speak to rather than just like again the competency that they have which i find quite interesting i think um i was going to ask one last question i know we're just uh, coming up on time as well and you're again just talking about like cultural competency and hiring for those kinds of leaders we spoke last week about you know the purpose of like frame broiler and like the impact on culture it's interesting that you know it's a korean brand when you're hiring people mm -hmm. into business who are not necessarily like korean how do you kind of capture that type of like cultural competency per se or that type of leadership to drive the kind of the values that you see in sort of a korean business and its impact on korean culture in california and other work in other places mm -hmm. uh yeah what we don't look for in the interview process is uh knowledge we look for posture um and so it's so for us, like, it's okay for a candidate to give an answer I might not like, because uh, I'll always kind of give them a second chance. Um, so, for example, in the cultural competen 
competence in question. I'm not looking for experts on Korean culture because we got them. Like my whole family's in the business. Like well, we got that, that covered. We we can we can teach them as much as we want about uh, Korean culture, but what we can't teach is posture towards it. And so that's an example of uh, the uh, that 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 POS example, right? We're we're trying to roll out a POS, and the fr- a franchisee gets really upset, is yelling at you, like, "What do you do?" And if they answer with a bulldozing way, right? Because you know that, someone might kind of react like that on the spot, but then I'll kind of explain like why we think it's important to not do that, and I'll give and I'll kind of teach them in the moment, like, "Hey, the reason why we don't." appreciate that we don't do that is because we want to show like empathy and we want to understand where they're coming from and if it's a korean franchisee i can i'll share like why that that might have happened like where uh, the, the misunderstandings could have happened and then i look for their response right i'm not looking for the perfect answer i'm looking for how do they engage how are they engaging with me in that moment are they being like oh like oh i understand now that i didn't under, i didn't know that before because you'd be surprised most people we'll just kind of brush it off as I'm kind of like sharing with them and we'll just brush it off. I'm like, okay, I gave you a chance <laughs> and, and you're not, and your posture is not one of humility and learning when I'm sharing with you, why I disagree. Um, and so that, that's a big indicator for us. I like that. So it, it sounds like you, so you do give them a second chance. Like you actually tell them kind of what the answer is. And then it's like, even at that point, um, seeing how they like embody that answer. And, you know, maybe it's like, yes, and be like, now I get it. Yes. And here's like what more I would do now that I have like additional context. So you actually also look at the speed of learning for mm-hmm. them. That's, yes. that's, that's cool. I know. I mean, like not everyone would do that. Not everyone would give them like the chance to like answer mm-hmm. again, but that's, that's right. cool. Right. Yeah. Like, cause are, are they teachable? Right. Like, cause I can, I'll give bad answers all the time. Like, I mean, I'm not perfect when it comes to cultural competency in, in, by, by any means, uh, or nor am I ex- an expert on it, but like when someone like learns new pieces of information, how do they, how do they engage with that? Right. Do, do, do they, uh, respond with, uh, a posture of like, Oh, I'm willing to learn and kind of adapt. Because uh, I don't know what their first answer, if it's a problem of knowledge, they just don't know, or if it's a posture issue. And so I, 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 we always dig deeper, right? No matter what it is, I dig, I dig deeper, kind of figure out what's at the root of their answer. Because interviews can be so shallow, right? It's such a hard representation of who you are with, you know, a couple hours. Oh, yeah, for sure. Amazing. Uh, great stuff. Um, I suppose I'll go to you, Vivian. Do you have any last thoughts or takeaways on what we've chatted about here today? Yeah, I really loved um, just, you know, learning about how the growth happened and also like how you're thinking about intentional growth forward. Um, so specifically on like the culture piece, like, okay, you spent this time like building out your your leadership team and then what's upcoming after that is okay, like how do we kind of scale this out to different markets, to franchisees? So having like a very crisp like culture framework that actually like traverses like every part of the business seems like you guys like spent honestly like decades like perfecting that. And and now it's like, okay, how do we take this into prime time? And how do we like really put it to the test? I, I really like that. Sweet. What about yourself, uh, Christian? Any last uh, kind of nuggets you have for us or last thoughts or takeaways? Uh, any last thoughts or takeaways? 
Uh, I would just say, like, um, in terms of a takeaway for us, just keeping sight on the why behind the business is so important. I think as we look towards growth uh, and as a lot of companies look towards growth, it's easy to focus on vanity metrics on, you know, on like what, how things look like on the outside. The most important thing is how healthy are things on the inside. Right. And and is the why and the purpose and our values, are are they woven into the very fabric, the DNA of who we are and everything. Right. And before we don't, we actually don't have our values on the wall anywhere because it's a challenge for us to, for people to know our values through the way we lead and through the way we act and how we work rather than if we're blasting it out and forcing them to memorize it. Right. And, and that's how I think culture should be felt. And that, and those kinds of things should be uh, lived in the day to day rather than something that's more external and uh, like on the website and all those things. So that, I think that would be my last takeaway because that's for us like very, very important. Amazing. I mean, thank you for that. That's also very insightful. We could dig into that for another while <laughs> as well. Yeah, <laughs> <for sure. laughs> but I guess we're at time now. Um, I want to say, Christian, thanks so much for coming on, man. We really, really appreciate it. This was super, super insightful. Um, and we wish you all the best and your family all the best as you scale into Dallas and beyond now, you know. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say uh, my little spiel at the end, like I say every time, which is every restaurant has a story and we're here to learn the playbooks that built the world's greatest restaurants and how you can apply them yourself as a founder, owner, operator, or investor yourself. Thank you all very much and we will see you all at the next episode. Bye-bye.